Spring, the Sweet of the Year, Part One from the Flowers of Shakespeare. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Michelle from Michigan, 2019. The Flowers of Shakespeare by Esther Singleton. Primroses, Cowslips, and Oxlips. Primrose, Primula vulgaris. English poets have always regarded the primrose as the first flower of spring, the true flor de primavera. This name calls to mind Botticelli's enchanting primavera that hangs in the Uffizi, in which the sward is dotted with spring flowers that seem to have burst into blossom beneath the footsteps of Venus and her three graces, those lovely ladies of the Italian Renaissance, clad in light fluttering draperies. This decorative picture expresses not only the joy and beauty of newly awakened spring, but something much deeper, something that the painter did not realize himself, and this was what the Italian Renaissance was destined to mean to all the world, a new birth of beauty in the arts, and a new era of human sympathy for mankind. Sandro Botticelli, whom we may appropriately call Flor de Primavera among painters, was as unaware of his mission in art as the primroses that come into being at the call of a new day of spring sunshine from a long dark winter's sleep in a soil of frozen stiffness something of the tender and wistful beauty of early spring her faint dreams and soft twilights her languid afternoons and her veiled nights when pale stars tremble through grey mists and when warm rains softly kiss the drowsy earth botticelli has put into his enchanting spring idyll and this same wistful, half-drowsy, and evanescent beauty is characteristic of the primrose. Primrose, first-born child of Vere, Mary Springtime's harbinger, with her bells dim, is a perfect and sympathetic description of the flower in The Two Noble Kinsmen. Observe that the bells of the primrose are dim, pale in hue, because the earth is not sufficiently awake for bright colors or for joyful chimes so the color is faint and the sound is delicate. Trees are now timidly putting forth tender leaves. Buds peer cautiously from the soil, and few birds sing. For leaves, buds, and birds know full well that winter is lurking in the distance, and that rough winds occasionally issue from the bag of Boreas. The time has not yet come for lisp of leaves and ripple of rain, and for choirs of feathered songsters. Yet all the more, because of its bold daring and its modest demeanor, the primrose deserves the enthusiastic welcome it has always received from poets and flower-lovers. The primrose, writes Dr. Forbes Watson, seems the very flower of delicacy and refinement. Not that it shrinks from our notice, for few plants are more easily seen, coming as it does when there is a dearth of flowers, when the first birds are singing and the first bees humming, and the earliest green putting forth in the March and April woods. And it is one of those plants which dislikes to be looking cheerless, but keeps up a smouldering fire of blossom from the very opening of the year, if the weather will permit. The flower is of a most unusual color, a pale delicate yellow slightly tinged with green, and the better flowers impress us by a peculiar paleness, not dependent upon any feebleness of hue, which we always find unpleasing but rather upon the exquisite softness of their tone. And we must not overlook the little round stigma, that green and translucent gem, which forms the pupil of the eye, and is surrounded by a deeper circle of orange, which helps it to shine forth more clearly. 
Many flowers have a somewhat pensive look, but in the pensiveness of the primrose there is a shade of melancholy, a melancholy which awakens no thought of sadness, and does but give interest to the pale, sweet, inquiring faces which the plant upturns towards us. In the primrose as a whole we cannot help being struck by an exceeding softness and delicacy. There is nothing sharp, strong, or incisive. The smell is the faintest and most ethereal perfume, as Mrs. Stowe has called it in her sunny memories, though she was mistaken in saying that it disappears when we pluck the flower. It is meant to impress us as altogether soft and yielding. One of the most beautiful points in the primrose is the manner in which the paleness of the flower is taken up by the herbage. This paleness seems to hang about the plant like a mystery, for though the leaves of the primrose may at times show a trace of the steady paleness of the cowslip, it is more usually confined to their under-surfaces and the white flower-stalks with their clothing of down. And when we are looking at the primrose, one or other of these downy, changeful portions is continually coming into view, so that we get a feeling as if there hung about the whole plant a clothing of soft, evanescent mist, thickening about the center of the plant and the under-surfaces of the leaves, which are less exposed to the sun. And then we reach one of the main expressions of the primrose. When we look at the pale sweet flowers and the soft-toned green of the herbage, softened further here and there by that uncertain mist of down, the dryness of the leaf and fur enters forcibly into our impression of the plant, giving a sense of extreme delicacy and need of shelter, as if it were some gentle creature which shrinks from exposure to the weather. The Greeks associated the idea of melancholy with this flower. They had a story of a handsome youth, son of Flora and Priapus, whose betrothed bride died. His grief was so excessive that he died too, and the gods then changed his body into a primrose. In Shakespeare's time the primrose was also associated with early death, and it is one of the flowers thrown upon the corpse of Fidele, whose lovely wistful face is compared to the pale primrose. Thus Arviragus exclaims as he gazes on the beautiful youth Fidele, the assumed name of Imogene in disguise, I'll sweeten thy sad grave. Thou shalt not lack the flower that's like thy face, pale primrose. Perdita in The Winter's Tale mentions pale primroses that die unmarried ere they can behold bright Phoebus in his strength. Shakespeare appreciated the delicate hue and perfume of this flower. He seems to be alluding to both qualities when he makes Hermia touch Helena's memory by the following words. And in the wood, where often you and I upon faint primrose beds were wont to lie. Other English poets speak of the flower as the pale, or the dim. Milton writes, Now the bright star, day's harbinger, comes dancing from the east and leads with her the flowery May, who from her green lap throws the yellow cowslip and the pale primrose. And again Thomas Carew, Ask me why I send you here the firstling of the infant year? Ask me why I send to you this primrose all bepearled with dew? I straight whisper in your ears, the sweets of love are washed with tears. Ask me why this flower doth show so yellow-green and sickly too? Ask me why the stalk is weak, and bending yet it doth not break? I will answer these discover what doubts and fears are in a lover. The English primrose is one of a large family of more than fifty species, represented by the primrose, the cowslip, and the oxlip. All members of this family are noted for their simple beauty and their peculiar charm. Parkinson writes, 
we have so great variety of primroses and cowslips in our country breeding that strangers being much delighted with them have often furnished into divers countries to their good content all primroses bear their long and large broad yellowish-green leaves without stalks most usually and all the cowslips have small stalks under the leaves which are smaller and of a darker green the name of primula veris or primrose is indifferently conferred on those that i distinguish for paralysis or cowslips all these plants are called most usually in latin primula veris primula pertensis and primula silvarum because they show by their flowering the new spring to be coming on they being as it were the first ambassadors thereof they have also diverse other names as herba paralysis arthritica herba sancta petri claus sancta petri verbasculum odoratum lunaria arthritica flomus alizema silvarum and elizamatis alterum genus some have distinguished them by calling the cowslips primula veris eliator that is the taller primrose and the other humulus low or dwarf primrose primroses and cowslips are in a manner wholly used in cephalical diseases to ease pains in the head they are profitable both for the palsy and pains of the joints even as the bear's ears are which hath caused the names of arthritica paralysis and paralytica to be given them tusser in his husbandry includes the primrose among the seeds and herbs of the kitchen and lit says that the cowslips primroses and oxlips are now used daily amongst other potherbs but in physic there is no great account made of them the old name was primarilus dr pryor notes in his quaint book on flowers primarily as an outlandish unintelligible word was soon familiarized into primarilus and this into primrose the name was also written primarilus and finally settled down into primrose chaucer wrote primarole a name derived from the french primaveral meaning like the italian flor de primavera the first spring flower cowslip paralysis vulgaris pretensis the cowslip is an ingratiating little flower not so aloof as its cousin the primrose and not at all melancholy in the popular lore of shakespeare's time the cowslip was associated with fairies in many places it was known as fairy cups for this reason shakespeare makes ariel lie in a cowslip's bell when the fay is frightened by the hooting of owls or tired of swinging merrily on the blossom that hangs on the bough one of the duties of titania's little maid of honour was to hang a pearl in every cowslip's ear and this gay little fairy informs puck of the important place cowslips hold in the court of the tiny queen titania the cowslips tall her pensioners be in their gold coats spots you see these be rubies fairy favours in these freckles live their savours to appreciate the meaning of this comparison it must be remembered that the pensioners of queen elizabeth's court were a guard of the tallest and handsomest men to be found in the whole kingdom men moreover who were in the pride of youth and scions of the most distinguished families their dress was of extraordinary elegance and enriched heavily with gold embroidery hence gold coats for the cowslips here and there jewels sparkled and glistened on the pensioners coats hence rubies fairy favours favours from the queen the pensioners also wore pearls in their ears like raleigh and leicester and other noblemen hence the fairy had to hang a pearl in every cowslip's ear 
An idea, too, of the size of Titania and her elves is given when the cowslips are considered tall, and tall enough to be the bodyguard of Queen Titania. This was a pretty little allusion to Queen Elizabeth and her court, which the audience that gathered to see the first representation of A Midsummer Night's Dream did not fail to catch. We get a side-light on the importance of the pensioners in The Merry Wives of Windsor, when Dame Quickly tells Falstaff a great cock-and-bull story about the visitors who have called on Mistress Ford. There have been knights and lords, and gentlemen with their coaches, letter after letter, gift after gift, smelling so sweetly, all musk, and so rushling, I warrant you, in silk and gold. And yet there have been earls, and what is more, pensioners. Shakespeare also speaks of the freckled cowslip in Henry V, when the Duke of Burgundy refers to the even mead that erst brought sweetly forth the freckled cowslip. All poets love the flower. In the language wherewith spring letters cowslips on the hill, writes Tennyson, a charming fancy. Sidney Dodal has a quaint flower song containing this verse. Then came the cowslip like a dancer in the fair, she spread her little mat of green, and on it danced she, with a fillet bound about her brow, a fillet round her happy brow, a golden fillet round her brow, and rubies in her hair. Never mind if country dancers rarely wear rubies. The idea is pretty, and on Shakespeare's authority we know that rubies do gleam in the cups of cowslips, as he has told us through the lips of the fairy. With great appreciation of the beauty of the flower, he has Giacomo's description. Cinque spotted like the crimson drops in the bottom of a cowslip. Most sympathetically did Dr. Forbes Watson, when lying on a bed of fatal illness, put into words what many persons have felt regarding this flower. Few of our wild flowers give intenser pleasure than the cowslip, yet perhaps there is scarcely any whose peculiar beauty depends so much upon locality and surroundings. There is a homely simplicity about the cowslip, much like that of the daisy, though more pensive, the quiet sober look of an unpretending country girl, not strikingly beautiful in feature or attire, but clean and fresh, as if new bathed in milk and carrying us away to thoughts of daisies, flocks, and pasturage, and the manners of a simple primitive time, some golden age of shepherd life long since gone by, and more, in looking at the cowslip we are always most forcibly struck by its apparent wholesomeness and health. This wholesomeness is quite unmistakable. It belongs even to the smell so widely different from the often oppressive perfumes of other plants, as lilies, narcissus, or violets. Now just such a healthy milk-fed look, just such a sweet, healthy odor, is what we find in cows, an odor which breathes around them as they sit at rest in the pasture. The lips, of course, is but a general resemblance to the shape of the petals, and suggests the source of the fragrance. The cowslip, as we have said, is a singularly healthy-looking plant. Indeed, nothing about it is more remarkable. It has none of the delicacy and timidity of the primrose. All its characters are well and healthily pronounced. The paleness is uniform, steady, and rather impresses us as whiteness, and the yellow of the cup is as rich as gold. The odor is not faint, but saccharine and luscious. It does not shrink into the sheltered covert, but courts the free air and sunshine of the open fields, and instead of its flowers peeping timidly from behind surrounding leaves, it raises them boldly on a stout sufficient stalk, the most conspicuous object in the meadow. 
its poetry is the poetry of common life but of the most delicious common life that can exist the plant is in some respects careless to the verge of disorder and you should note that carelessness well till you feel the force of it as especially in the lame imperfection of the flower-buds only perhaps half of them well developed and the rest dangling all of unequal lengths essentially the cowslip and the primrose are only the same plant in two different forms the one being convertible into the other the primrose is the cowslip of the woods and sheltered lanes the cowslip is the primrose of the fields the name cowslip is not derived from the lips of the cow but according to skeet the great anglo-saxon authority it comes from an anglo-saxon word meaning dung and was given to the plant because it springs up in meadows where cows are pastured the common field cowslip says parkinson i might well forbear to sit down being so plentiful in the fields but because many take delight in it and plant it in their gardens i will give you the description of it here it hath divers green leaves very like unto the wild primrose but shorter rounder stiffer rougher more crumpled about the edges and of a sadder green colour every one standing upon his stalk which is an inch or two long among the leaves rise up divers long stalks a foot or more high bearing at the top many fair yellow single flowers with spots of deep yellow at the bottom of each leaf smelling very sweet in england they have divers names according to several countries as primroses cowslips oxlips palsyworts and petty mullins the frantic fantastic or foolish cowslip in some places is called by country people jackanapes on horseback which is a usual name given by them to many other plants as daisies marigolds etc if they be strange or fantastical differing in form from the ordinary kind of the single ones the smallest are usually called through all the north country bird's eye because of the small yellow circle in the bottoms of the flowers resembling the eye of a bird the oxlip combines the qualities of primrose and cowslip these two plants writes a botanist appear as divergent expressions of a simple type the cowslip being a contracted form of the primrose the sulphur yellow and the fine tawny watery rays of the latter brightened into well-defined orange spots in the oxlip these characters anastomose thus partaking of the character of primrose and cowslip the oxlip is considered by some authorities a hybrid the oxlip and the polyanthus says dr forbes watson with its tortoise-shell blossoms are two of the immediate forms the polyanthus being a great triumph of the gardener's art a delightful flower quite a new creation and originally produced by cultivation of the primrose in england the oxlip is found in woods fields meadows and under hedges though a spring flower it lingers into summer and is found in company with the nodding violets wild thyme and luscious eglantine on the bank where titania loved to sleep lulled to rest by song Perdita speaks of bold oxlips, The Winter's Tale, Act 4, Scene 3, and compared with the primrose and cowslip, the flower deserves the adjective. Oxlips in their cradles growing, in the song in The Two Noble Kinsmen, which Shakespeare wrote with John Fletcher, shows great knowledge of the plant, for the root leaves of the oxlip are shaped like a cradle. Parkinson writes, Those are usually called oxlips whose flowers are naked or bare without husks to contain them being not so sweet as the cowslip, yet have they some little scent, although the Latin name doth make them to have none. 
End of Primroses, Cowslips, and Oxlips. Recording by Sarah Michelle from Michigan, 2019.